0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're standing in the eye or a hurricane, you We'll be the same again So get these and let it flow What you don't know is you never know I know in the big picture my thing about that band and my thing with Tony possibly shouldn't mean so much but you see the point is I'm not in the big picture I'm in Manchester and I can't earn enough to leave just yet for now these are my parameters the spokes of the bus routes out to the A roads those sparse stretches lined with derelict pubs and retail parks precisely the same to the north, south, east and west for now I walk around through the scraping wind, through puddles full of brick dust, often with my feet so cold and sodden, the flesh of my toes like soaked cotton wadding spun around the bone. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Every episode, we take a book out into the wild to see if the places and locations in the book match up with reality. I'm Lloyd Shepard. I'm a writer and digital product manager. I'm Tim Wright. Hello. And I'm a digital writer and a producer of immersive fictions. Immersive fictions. Where are we immersing ourselves today, Tim? Oh wait quite a long time come on we are immersing ourselves in cold water hey, very good <laughs> cold water by gwendolyn riley yes her first novel her first novel published in 2002 She's nominated for a big prize this year, isn't she? Is she? Yes, with with something like her seventh novel. Yeah, her reputation grows with each book it I. does. I, I, been, I read. Uh, yeah. They get a bit longer each book as well, because oh, only, the, but not by much. The first book is uh, Goldwater's is, is very is slim, very short, very yeah. slim. Second one is two, which uh, is also based in Manchester. Manchester. Where this book is based. The People's Republic of Mancunia. You'll be very pleased about I'm that. Very aren't pleased you? about that, as I uh, I do have family roots in Manchester. Yeah, you you don't have them though. Do you? Uh, well, I spent the first five. Years of my life there. Okay, apart from the first six months, and you is... are a Manchester United supporter. I am aren't a Manchester you? United supporter. Yeah. I am a Southern Red. Yeah. So. so, listen, as you'll discover about Manchester, is that um, it's quite hard to keep track of it because they keep knocking things down and building it's things constantly again. Reinventing so, for us, itself. this is a this is an interesting it's one. An extraordinary city for for that kind of room. I, th- I think it's the closest city to London in terms of constant reinvention the book is centered mainly about coming into town on what is called the oxford road and yeah. now called the oxford road corridor the oxford road corridor runs sort of north to south broadly speaking into manchester um it's where the two universities are based so Ma- uh-huh. a university of manchester and she wrote this book manchester at university met. right she went to manchester met she did english literature at manchester met huh. and she wrote it or started it while she was university i think it was something to do with her courseware but published it very soon after she loved it apparently she, uh, said, she said she said loved, she loved being at Manchester Met. Yeah. I don't get a sense that she loves Manchester. <laughs> she stayed. She hung around in Manchester for a while, for nearly ten years. I yeah. think, after she finished, she lives in Shepherd's Bush now. Uh, and now she lives in Shepherd's <laughs> Bush. We're going to walk up from Oxford Road through what is called the Gay Village along the canal uh, to Piccadilly Gardens, yep. which is in sort of the centre of town. And then we're going to walk down Market Street, where the Arndale Centre is, mm. over the River Irwell uh, into Salford, which is the city next to Manchester. We're going to try and find a pub called the Black Friars. Then we're going to head right around to the Central Library, where she spends quite a lot of time. She's quite steps. bookish. This book is quite literary. It's quite bookish, isn't it? Mm. But we didn't start in Manchester, actually. We start in Macclesfield. Macclesfield. The character in here, Carmel McKisco, age 20, who is the bar worker who works in a dive bar. And the set of this book is basically that she's been dumped by her boyfriend and she's taken it quite badly. Mm. Yeah. And it's really about her sort of coping with... Losing the love of her life up to the age of 20 in the city like that. And then the characters who surround her as she sort of mopes around the place. Yeah. But she's in love also with another band that isn't the Smiths. It's not named, the band. Not named, but the, uh, the lead singer is named, fictionally, Stephen. Stephen Unsworth. They hail from Macclesfield. Yeah. So she goes on a little pilgrimage to Macclesfield. She does. So we thought we'd do the same. Yeah. Let's get the mood right. Let's start in a graveyard. In a graveyard. Uh, Why are we doing lots of books with those graveyards? Well, it's at our age. <laughs> it's wonderful to wake up with a project in mind, to leave the house with a mission I set off for Macclesfield wearing my Dust Bowl jeans a red jumper new socks and my Mary Janes with my leather jacket and my standard issue black wool Salford Bin Man hat I was gleaming with intent thinking this is the life when I was 14 I started to go and watch bands on my own mostly there was one particular band they came from Macclesfield as it so happens sometimes when I was watching them I'd feel my breath pulled out of me. It meant so much. Their songs were simple and direct, about violence, frustration, claustrophobia, escape. They never escaped, though. That's a judgmental thing to say, isn't it? Maybe I'm missing the point. Macclesfield. We're in Macclesfield. We're in Macclesfield Cemetery. We are. I think I'm going to have a very sad time in this podcast we're going to keep looking for bars because there's an awful lot of bars in this book and we're going to keep finding that they're closed and then you're going to keep taking me to places like crematoriums instead. Although in this particular instance, I mean, the idea of coming to the crematorium was yours because... (laughs) Okay, so this podcast has already brought you Bon Scott from ACDC. It's now brought you Peter Hook from, uh, from Joy Division. He's been we- I've wound him up now and he can't be stopped. Have you finished? No, all right, sorry. So we are in Macclesfield Cemetery and we're just around the corner from the uh, memorial to Ian Curtis. It's an amazing thing. Uh, We'll put some pictures up on our Patreon page. The reason we thought it was appropriate was that the young woman in uh, in Coldwater, Carmel, comes here to memorialise not Joy Division. No, another band. Another band. A lead singer who she had a crush on when she was 14. She doesn't identify the band in the book, but the way she talks about that singer is the same way a lot of people our age, you included, Tim. Yes. Speak about Ian Curtis and Joy Division. Well, I think it, the whole mood of this book about the establishment of Man- Manchester as a sort of rainy, gritty yeah. uh, place full of bars, but also with quite a lot of characters and things going on in it, it's sort of faded industrial glamour meets the music industry and boozing and drugs. Yeah. And then that whiff of sadness and melancholy and it's got lost real love. real whiff of sadness. If, if I say all of that, what you think of is <laughs> if you're joy division. Age, if you're our age. <laughs> is joy division. Well, maybe if you say that to someone 20 years younger, they go, Oh, that sounds like Marion." I think she was a big Smiths fan, actually. She's, yeah, she's and I think Marion quoted as is... saying, "I still like Morrissey." Somewhere. Else. Blimey! We should move on into Manchester, but um, we're good to come to Macclesfield. Macclesfield Cemetery is extraordinary. It's a big, old, rolling up and down hills. It's not flat because Macclesfield is at the edge of the Peak District, just a bit south east of Manchester, and uh, it's an old silk t- town. Apparently, it, it was the largest manufacturer of silk anywhere in the world for quite a some time. Yeah. Did you know that? So it's quite wealthy. It's got yeah. lots of fancy houses. I was surprised to find that it said here in 2004 that the Times published an article saying Macclesfield and its borough is the most uncultured town in Britain. Blimey! Based on its lack of theatres, cinemas, and other cultural facilities. So it's interesting that she comes here because she, she is also quite a movie buff, the character in this and I, I get the impression Gwendolyn Riley is as well Yeah, there's a lot of ref- references to art house film and she comes to a town that doesn't have a cinema No, looking for her cultural icon and no mention of Ian Curtis or Ian Curtis's grave which you would have thought if it were into that sort of music would have been a bit of a destination well as I say she's 20 years she's younger 20 years, maybe she's she even heard so Ian Curtis what do these young people know about fine cultural traditions like <laughs> Joy Division I mean, really, there they are, talking about their grunge Bukowski. Bands. <laughs> and their Bukowski <laughs> and their F. Scott Fitzgerald. Two of Joy Division came from here. Stephen Morris came from here as well. And also Gillian Gilbert of New Order uh, came from here. Oh, really? So we're right in the... We're in new, new Order it. Joy Division. Yeah. Ground Zero. Ground Zero, which out of which I would say this book uh, is one of the late blooms. I would say, in terms of its attitude its view of the world So should we now go away from the graveyards and try and find some bars please Yeah, we have to, before we go to the bars we have to go to Withington where I think she lives in the book But, um, uh, we but then we'll then, go to the we'll bars We'll then go please. to the bars and unfortunately all the bars we're going to look at are shut down long ago <laughs> We'll end up at O'Neill's and Piccadilly Gardens <laughs> spoons. got hold of the the original file that he'd had in his bedroom at Victoria Park Flats, I was shocked to see that the the writing was almost as depressing as what he'd written later on. And that was from when he was 16, talking about how, how bad the world was. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing 16-year-old boys do anyway, I think. But he, he didn't grow out of it. It just got worse. So the grave is mentioned in the book. Is it? It is. She basically gets a, a record from her friend Shelley called Factory Greyness. An, an factory early greyness. song by the Macclesfield band I was so hung up on, which okay. we will come to. yeah, Because Factory Greyness is a clue. Factory Greyness is a good clue. It is. And apparently it it was a song about visiting Ian Curtis's grave, something Stephen, the lead singer, used to do a lot, according to all those old interviews, with their moody photos and punchy pull-out quotes. Mm. There was a line from that song that had always stuck in my mind, passing by your modest curbstone. I like that line a lot. So it's there. It is a modest. We had a good reason to go, not just because I like Joy Division. No, but also I hadn't realised, I don't think I'd ever been in a cemetery where the memorial stones lined the road. It is a curbstone. It is a curbstone. Passing right. by your curbstone. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Um, which so was, we need to talk about Gwendolyn Riley. Gwendolyn Riley, born in London, Yes. 1979. Mm-hmm. Parents split up when she was only two. So she grew up with her mother and maternal grandparents on the Wirral. Mm. As we've said, she studied English at Manchester Met uh, and published Cold Water aged 22. She's a fantastically good interview. I Very mean, spiky. Everything I read about her makes me like her more and more because I agree. she's incredibly spiky. Mm. I mean, I picked up a few quotes when I was was reading her. Dostoevsky, I read more as a pose initially, but I started to love him. I love Salinger most of all. It's very good. Mm. Um, I quite like this one. Someone told me I should read H, the debut of French author Lauren Binet, recently, Riley says. I thought it was absolute bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> and that was an incredibly fated piece of writing. She's very, very committed to being a writer, basically. Absolutely. to Having the life of and Absolutely. work of a writer and nothing else. Well, she talks much. about working in bars uh, because she didn't want to write crap stuff for money. Yeah. She just wanted to write you know, what she perceived to be worthwhile uh, literature. And and she's done that. And she's, you know, she's stayed true to herself. She worked in bars to allow allow herself to do that. I like this one interview I found here in 3AM magazine, dated 2004. The journalist is trying very hard to be interesting. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He says, the Observer labelled her Manchester's very own Charles Bukowski. But then what does the Observer know? In person, Gwendolyn Riley is a lot less like Bukowski than you might imagine. More like Camus in hot pants. Grown. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing about what's so interesting about her is that all the interesting characters in this book are women. The men are a mess. They're not very interesting. They're either broken or weird, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Tony, isn't there? Tony's or Tony's just a shit. He's a shit. He's yeah. the classic misogynist. She writes about misogyny quite a lot. She does. Misogynists being stupid people who she doesn't really want to write about. She has a great so quote which I've I I can't, I, can't well, I know where I remember it, but was some, once somebody asked her would she ever write a story from a male viewpoint? And she says something like, I am paraphrasing. Um, what in get inside a man's head Ugh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Don't expect a lot of plot in her books. Well, she says books with plots put first can get dull because the plot is only interesting if the characters' writing ideas are interesting. Otherwise, it's just perfunctory. It has no momentum. That's amazing, isn't it? She talks about Manchester. Is Manchester a particularly inspiring place? I think it's just where I am. I like to wander around. I'm indigenous. I'm indigenous. (laughs) That sounds a bit John Cooper Clarke or yeah, uh, yeah, Marquis yeah. E Smith, doesn't yeah, it? Uh, but, you, but you still work day and night in a Manchester bar. Why is that? I work there on and off when I need the cash. I don't want to do other types of writing to earn money, so I just do this work. Perhaps you need or needed this connection with the real world to charge up your fiction? I think it feeds something evil in me because at this point it's quite a negative experience. It requires a certain fortitude because I'm not seeing anything new. I'm rarely surprised. I feel like I've finished with writing about people in bars, but I can't seem to leave. I just refuse to get a job. I like to have time to think and to write, so I'm there for the foreseeable. She's good, isn't she? She's just very uh, direct. Does she ever just sit... This is The Guardian. Does she ever just sit down and slacken her mind with some rubbish TV? No. No. I turned the telly on on Saturday at 7.30pm for about an hour. Doctor Who. The rest of the time I just like reading and sitting there completely emotionless with terrible thoughts dancing around my brain. I didn't have a Dan as a Doctor Who fan. That is the one slightly surprised. She does say, in the this is an interview in The Independent, one of the cardinal values of fiction I feel is to explore difficult human relationships. I don't write so much from autobiography, but I am writing from life, from observation. And from some personal experiences. And of course, as a classic late 50-something mansplaining misogynist, yeah. uh, that's me. That's you. Okay. Uh, uh, well, thank You, know, you do me in that. Playing that role. I'm still mid-50-something. Yeah. Otherwise the same. <laughs> playing that role in this podcast. Yeah. I'm of course going to end up uh, talking about Gwendolyn Reiner by referring to her husband. Oh. Uh, yeah. So important to do that with women. That's the only way she comes to focus for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's going to kill me for this (laughs) I was very interested actually that she is married She's married to Alan Jenkins Who is quite a well-known poet Okay And I had noticed that in one of her early interviews She said uh, she wasn't wedded to being a novelist She said I might become a poet in ten years time Yeah It says here in the British Council notes about him Alan Jenkins is a poet of great skill who likes to go sailing I don't see Gwendolyn Riley in a boat I don't see Gwendolyn Riley on a boat, no Pulling in the sheet. Is that a thing? I'd be amazed if that was a thing. No. But he is also very literary. There's a tension in my poems between a very English, understated, conversational voice and a residue of the French symbolist poets Malamé, Rambeau and LaForgue, I read with such a passion nearly 30 years ago. This is certainly apparent in his luscious debut volume and 1988, delighting in all the appetites, food, drink, promiscuous sex and the recreational use of drugs. So his debut collection was 1988. Yeah, so he's yeah. quite a lot older than Gwendolyn. Yeah, he's t- I think he's 20 years older than her. Yeah, Right. I imagine, so that's a very sort of literary household where he's writing poems based on French symbolist stuff and, and sex he had with young women 30 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and she's upstairs tapping away the latest book about misogynists and women trying to understand where they come from and how they're made by their relationships with through men men and to terrible fathers and um slightly broken mothers and then it's dinner in front of cold feet and then it's doctor who (laughs) (laughs) do you think it went well today at your reading (laughs) do I think it went well. I feel like a footballer. At the end of the day, right, you've got to just play the ball as it... um, I don't know, yeah, I think it went well. I mean, I read the words. I'm quite good at reading, being a writer, so I read them out quite well, I think. Perfect, I'm so glad. I walked all the way back to my flat after work that night, down past the museum and the park. Summer rain fell fast and the leaves dripped. Yeah. The warm air tasted of mulch and rot, On the edge of the town, there's a building site where they're putting up a new leisure complex. The diggers were still poised. To one side, huge concrete slabs, dark grey with absorbed rain, were stacked, ready to be slotted into place. For a long time, I stared down at the churned, live earth, planted with rusted iron bars. In the squat office block behind, a window was broken." and the wind was shuffling the grubby vertical blinds, whipping them off the rail. So there were, there were a couple of points when you were dangerously close to lear, looming over to John Cooper Clark. John Cooper there. Clark. Keith Joseph <laughs> smiles and a baby dies in a box on Beasley Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of points where I thought, oh The It Man, G- baby. He's going to do this to John Cooper Clark. Shall I describe where we are? You, yeah, well, you you so, uh, we went past your um, well, past, your, what what should have been your birthplace. Should have been my birthplace, <laughs> but wasn't quite. It's but a bit like out. Elvis having not been born in Memphis, isn't it? Tupelo. So I was, uh, yeah, we were going past Hanforth, which is where I lived until I was five, but I wasn't actually born there. We are in a place called Withington, Withington, which is right on the edge, the southern edge of Manchester. We've only just, we're only sort of just inside we're the sort Manchester of ring road, into really. Manchester, aren't we? So we're making our way in towards. Where we hope we might find the bar that Carmel McKisco works in. We know she comes from Withington because she gets a letter from her mate Mackie. Yep. He writes to her from Cornwall, doesn't he? With a date on the twenty-fifth of September, two thousand AD. Yeah. He says to Carmel McKisco, spinster of the parish of Withington. So Withington tram stop is just over to our left, and we are stood behind a rather strange sort of structural graffiti on it, right next to Huff End Leisure Centre which is a new leisure centre built in Withington. It's quite controversial, I read. This new one was built in 2015, so I'm worried about the... We're talking about... Probably fifteen years earlier, that, there well, been said ready to be built. She says, 15 years well, taking to build it." You know, I don't know. Things can't take time, can they? Maybe there's okay. a planning permission. So we're looking out over these green fields with Huffin, lots of fantastic Huffin old, Huffin old, uh, metal football um, yeah, goals, tough, goal eight, posts. eight football pitches. They're, they're proper five old five or six rugby pitches, municipal football posts. Bang your head on that, you know about it, wouldn't yeah. you? Apparently, this is all under threat for new development of new leisure centre stuff. But and you don't—you f- probably don't feel it. like you've been into Manchester yet, right? Because it's just been, we've been on a sort of dual carriageway. We've turned off the dual carriageway and there's there's a there's a playing fields and a ledger centre. Yeah. But Manchester is basically behind those trees. I can see a tower. You can see a tower. But so it know. really does feel like the edge of Manchester here. So this is where we think she lived, right? Her flat was around here somewhere. Well, I don't think we could be any more precise than that. Yeah. But I think it's like the other thing that's worth saying is this is very much stu- fourth year student territory. Is it? My uh, my daughter lived around here when she was at Manchester University. Okay. Gwendolyn Riley went to Manchester Met University. Right. So, you know, the direction of travel as you're a student tends to be, you tend to get halls of residence quite near the university further in up Oxford Road. Right. And then so as the we, years the go, go by, your money Oxford. starts to run dry. Ah. You start to <laughs> migrate southwards oh, out yeah. towards Withington. Okay. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's quite a cheap place to live because it's, not particularly salubrious it's not well it's not one thing or the other really it's just a a place on the edge of manchester so you're suggesting that as this being her first novel that this might be drawing off her student experience well we're going to drive in now and i think the route we're going to take in is up the oxford road through rush we should really take a bus well we could take a bus or we could take the rather nice car we arrived in and that's the the route she takes in the bus to work in the morning and it's well it's the, it's the route that my daughter used to take to college every morning because she went to Manchester so I know it quite well so I think that's pretty much the, uh, I her don't mental map of the geography yeah. this is all going to be very educational for me <laughs> yeah. yeah nobody points at planes down here like they do in Norfolk <laughs> we still haven't found a bar yet though mate No, I know well we're working on that so I can we can now you a, closed a cemetery bar. and a leisure centre <laughs> it's a rock and roll experience what <laughs> an adventure Step in a little while and bring color. People who are 20 years old or 19 should should come out of the film going, oh, all right, I see. So, so all this stuff I'm into now, I can see that this this, this is this is this is where it came from. This is where it came from. That that's it should inform them. They should they should get it. It's okay if for some people it's a bit of a nostalgia fest. That's fine. But it has to be more than that, obviously. Um, for people who uh, weren't there, it should it, it illuminate. Uh, something of a period that has kind of had a, a ripple effect on on, on pop culture, t- you know, to t- today. So that was exciting that you took me to the back of a leisure centre out in a football pitch <laughs> in the rain. Whittington. And I did my John th- Cooper Clark impression. <laughs> well, John Cooper Clark impression was very good. Yeah. I was impressed. I think it's important that I channel a lot of my Manchester... Yeah. feelings by not knowing anything about Manchester and coming from Norfolk. Yeah. Well. Your you, you, your entire knowledge of Manchester is gained through the words of uh, Ian Curtis and John Cooper Clarke, right? Pretty much. Well, I'm a massive Fall fan as well. So, oh, right. Okay. The Holy Trinity. I'm afraid so. So it's, well, it's slightly weird. I, I'm a boy from Norfolk went to a very posh private school and I spent quite a lot of my time trying to decode Mark E. Smith yeah well but yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's 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 a, it's a job someone's got to do it might explain what goes on in my head never really got into the full oh, uh, i would say that's my biggest musical regret that i never really got into the full but right. when, well gwendolyn is day. a smiths fan isn't she she's really into morrissey she's very into morrissey and that kind of slightly uh, fae uh, literary allusion and we're going to talk about um the period the, when this book came out Well, the book was, was published 2002. in 2002 I was quite interested. I did I started looking at uh, what Morrissey was up to at that period because I thought uh, okay that might, that might be interesting. And I found an an interview from 1999. He's he's in a troublesome phase at right. that point, I'd say. In fact, he was he'd been dropped by his record label, oh, in at uh, that year and he's moved to LA. He does talk about the fact that he says I find Britain claustrophobic. And on the rare occasions he returns, he finds the newspapers and their constant preoccupation with the Royals just too much to deal with. I always come back very optimistically, he says, and I last about eight days. And then I'm on the phone to British Airways saying, please, I'll do anything. Just help me. <laughs> so what to- do we know about 2002, Lloyd? Uh, well, it's, it's quite a grim year. I mean, the, the, the big thing in Manchester is the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, Which he doesn't mention. It's a pretty awful year for women, I would say. Two thousand and two. I okay. mean, three awful deaths: Amanda Dowler, Holly Wells, Jessica Chapman. Gosh, are yes. all two thousand and two. So were murders. Yeah. Uh, Princess Margaret and the Queen Mother died. It was a golden jubilee as well. To have your golden jubilee and then have your sister and your mum die yeah. in the same year—it's a bit rough, isn't it? Well, I would say, the two two things that I noticed is one of a film that came out was Twenty Four Hour Party People. Yes, two thousand and two, which is great and is about. The explosion in Manchester in the 80s and 90s, the music scene. Yeah, through so, the lens uh, of Tony, what's his Tony name? Tony Wilson. Mm. Anthony H. Wilson. Um, so it's about... The founder Jordan of Factory, Division. co-founder of Factory. Factory, of yeah, it's about mm. the foundation of Factory. It's just, and it's we a, walked past the Factory building, didn't we? We walked past the Factory offices. Which is yeah. m- must be very near where her bar is. It must be. She doesn't mention it, does she? Twenty-four hour party, people, it, it's almost like it bookends that whole incredible two decades of Manchester music. Mm. Because the other thing that happens in two thousand is basically the end of popular music in this country. Mm. Because Will Young... Gets to f- number one with uh, his first single coming out of Pop Idol, so it's the beginning of the ca- cowalization of popular culture in this country. Yes, Gareth Gates um, and Gareth Had a good, Gates very like, good year. In that, in the, the three number ones from Pop Idol that year: Will Young, Gareth Gates, and they the two of them then teamed up to sing together on the Long and Winding Road, just awful. And then a lot of very bad music deaths: John Entwhistle died in two thousand and two, Joe Strummer died in two thousand two, and then yeah. Jake Thackeray died oh. in two thousand and two. Yes, you, so you focused on a lot of death, haven't you? Yeah, saw a lot of death there. That's good. I think. Well, that, that sets the tone, doesn't it? And yeah. of course, it was the, the the death of Leeds United when Rio Ferdinand moved to Manchester United. Yeah, I didn't put any football references. No, it was I no, no, Rye. <laughs> won the double for the second time <laughs> that year, so I didn't want to really talk about that. I don't think Gwendolyn Rye is very interested. In no, that. I don't think she's interested. I I'd was interested. interested in the Manchester, Manchester. Do you know seen? who Rio Ferdinand is, Gwendolyn? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she just does, doesn't watch to tell I told you. Yeah. If he isn't in Doctor Who, she's not interested. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> okay, so my my bids of this is the uh, blue all rise. Come on now, see. <laughs> I mean, you know, and also the other person who was surprisingly big in that year, and has always been a puzzle to me, is Daniel Bedingfield. I know. Now, the, do you know there's a connection to our curiously specific with Daniel Bedingfield? No. Um, in, is that not that long ago? He joined the War of the Worlds musical as the artillery man, <laughs> <laughs> the slightly mad and weird artillery man. Yeah, did he like have it. a sister as well? Wasn't she Natasha the Bedingfield? Yeah, Natasha Bedingfield. yeah, yeah. So so a stranglehold on the charts. They did. Yeah, the British film was quite good then because you have talked about uh, 24 fa- hour party people. Yeah, twenty eight days later came out then. <gasps> did it? Yeah, which is quite Danny Boyle, Mancunian. Yeah, and again. Quite a good uh, metaphor of a yeah. horrible urban space for yeah. the weirdos. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Pretty Things is a good film. Have you ever seen that? That's about the night one workers. about uh, illegal immigrants? Yeah, yeah, and kidney transplants. Stephen Frears? Yeah, Stephen Frears. Gresham's boy. Yeah. Gresham's boy. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to get that in. And um, have you ever seen Morven Caller by Lynne Ramsey? I have. I do like that film. That's yeah. a very good film. And I think actually Morven Caller is quite... That, yeah. And the soundtrack to that. I would say, listener... That if you get the soundtrack to Morvan Caller and start listening to that while reading this book, that's not bad, actually. That's very good. It's yeah. quite good. Although oh, it's got right. a lot of can in it, which I don't, again, I don't see Gwendolyn Riley necessarily being a can fan, but maybe we can persuade her. Uh, it's probably not enough words in can for her. I think she's probably a lyrics person, isn't she? That's why she likes Morrissey so much. I guess so. And Samantha Morton would be a good shout, I think, to play the lead in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it was ever made into a film with no story, no plot. Yeah, well, a 21 year old <laughs> Samantha Morton would be very good. Yeah. Yeah you're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. If you want to listen to the next episode of this podcast immediately and not have to wait a week like other listeners, and you want to listen to it ad-free, you need to check out our Patreon page. Yes, if you support us on Patreon, just go to patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific. You'll not only get early access to the podcast... You'll also get all our lovely show notes that include all the links we mention, the photos we've taken on our field trips, videos, maps we've done as well. Yeah, the maps are interesting because your maps look very lovely and beautiful. My maps, they were drawn by a deranged person. (laughs) I think you've only drawn one so far. I've only drawn one so far. I think this map for Gwendolyn Riley's Manchester is going to be interesting because we're going to have to do it sort of... Based on because uh, <laughs> it, it's basically been crumped, Manchester, hasn't it? It's been crumped, so it's been crumped uh, and rebuilt. So just just getting a, a 2002 map of Manchester for free is yeah. a pretty good value. And itself quite challenging. But all that stuff is on our Patreon page, uh, and uh, you get access to it straight away if you head over there. And it's very very cheap. It is very very cheap, <laughs> just like us. I think it meant to say low cost, aren't you? Low cost. Now back we'll, to the podcast. We'll back to the podcast. Tony finished with me at the beginning of September. He sat on the edge of his bed and scratched the back of his neck and stared at the floor and I knew what was coming. You don't seem like the happiest of people. I'm finding it a bit draining, to be honest. (laughs) I didn't know what to say to that. I just said, oh, right. Didn't ask anything else or cry or enter into a discussion. That's rule number one. I went back to my flat, got drunk there and then went into work. The bus's reflection slid over the restaurant windows in Rushholm and I saw myself sitting stationary and ridiculous. I wanted to disappear. (laughs) We're currently currently stationary and ridiculous, quite on the edges of Rushholm. I think that's a really good paragraph to sum up this book. about. It's quite funny. It's quite highly observant, it's and it's also a bit sad. And it's also very self-aware. It yeah, kind of it's like... good. And the character that she doesn't... Oh, right. Just oh doesn't right, say yeah. anything. Rule number one, yeah. don't enter into discussion. Anyway, so we're in... Is it, are we coming up to Rochelm? We're, we're just going through Fallowfield. That's the yeah. University of Manchester... On our right, over there on our right. Okay. And then the next the next bit we'll go through is Rush Home. Okay. It is all... quite a long way, isn't it, from her flat it, it into town. So that bit where she says she walks. Yeah. That's, that's quite, quite a long way, way, way isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. In the rain. But anyway, the, this is Rush Home here. Yeah. And this is where a lot of the famous... This is Curry Mile. Oh, that's what I it's called, it. is it? Yeah. This is where the famous uh, Indian restaurants are. Oh, I see. That's what it means by the, the steamy windows of a Rush Home... The bus's reflection slid over the restaurant windows in Russholm. Mm-hmm. So those are all curry houses, are they? Yep. I think. Okay. Learning. I'm learning all the time. <laughs> yeah So this is the bottom end of Oxford Road. Okay. And there is a huge number of young people at the bus stop. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look at that. They always want to take a picture of Lots that. Lots of Carmels. That is all students lining up at the bus stops. There aren't any old people here, Lloyd. Yeah. I know. Good, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, that so, it, it, it's starting to make more sense to me. So, why is there a huge cluster of young people there? Oh, the Tesco's. Oh, fair enough. The Lidl. <laughs> the Lidl. Gosh, yes. And suddenly, there's lots of modern some university side, buildings. You've gone you. from you've gone from sort of quite cruddy shops yeah. to thrusting S- university IP based. Yeah capital. Yeah absolutely. Crikey yeah it's like a future village. Gosh it's like traveling 50 years or in one in five minutes. trip and we still hadn't had a drink no and then I read on the internet about the fantastic basement bars of Manchester (laughs) of which there are dozens and dozens there are and we get into town and we're searching for the bar that is the sort of central location of this book it's never given a name is it It's never given a name or a specific location. She says it's between Oxford Road and Gay Village. Yeah, and you found a really good candidate. I did find a good candidate. Which we will talk about on the street, as it were. Yeah, But it's fair to say that a lot of the bars that are mentioned in the book or name-checked are no longer there. There's a sort of slightly elegiac uh, feel to it. Do you think she must have known that at that point, that it was a disappearing world? I was thinking this. I was thinking about how would you best describe that, And one way of describing this book is a bit of an elegy for, for Manchester. I mean, mm. I mentioned, you know, 2002 being an awful year for music and how 24-hour party people is basically, the, you know, puts an end point on that whole... Yeah. But actually, a lot of the bars that were big, big parts of Manchester at the time were still around in 2002, starting there now. I mean, she mentions Dry Bar. Yeah. She mentions uh, the character... Is um, Dry Bar a thing? Uh, well, she mentions she mentions him writing the lyrics to Waterfall in leaving the, and them leaving in the Dry oh, Bar. The Stone Roses, yes. Um, cool. Mackie claims to have written lyrics to the Stone Roses Waterfall. He was doodling on a postcard in Dry Bar. Now, Dry Bar is actually quite an important part of Manchester history because it was actually a factory bar. How oh, was it? So it was opened in in uh, 1989 uh, as a scale. I'm getting this from uh, confidentials.com. dot com. Okay, it was opened in nineteen eighty as a sister venue to the Hacienda. Oh, really? Um, and actually, outlasted the Hacienda, um, and it closed in two thousand seventeen. So it was there for quite a long time. Okay. The other one she talks about is Roadhouse because yes. she was going to see a gig at Roadhouse. Again, very, very famous uh, Manchester institution. Again, now closed. Uh, Guy Garvey of Elbow used to be the um, the doorman at, at Roadhouse. Oh, Bit. And he- the rest of the band worked on the bar. That closed in twenty fifteen. Yeah. It's now turned into a restaurant. The other bar that's mentioned and name-checked, obviously, is the Black Friar. Yep. Which is the the pub, actually, that she walks to in Salford. So we did find that, didn't we? Well, OK. The Black Friar was closed for 20 years. And it's been completely redeveloped, as we discovered when we walked up to it in Salford. It's now surrounded by gleaming towers of apartment blocks and flats. Oh, I like everywhere we went. And actually, metaphorical clangor alert, I think they redeveloped it as the showroom for the flats behind... Because it's got it, this big kind of glass bit at the back. It's the and marketing it, suite, It's the marketing suite for the flats. That's so, weird, yeah. right? But obviously, it was a Monday. Manchester City were everywhere. And they'd shut the bars. And they'd shut the bars. So, blaming it on Manchester City, basically. So, it was shut. So, we yes. could get in. Well, your candidate was a Manchester City drinking hole, wasn't it? I think there was a lot of it was was a football City related fights hall. outside yeah. that bar. Yeah. So, she doesn't mention football once, does she? She doesn't apart mention from it at all, apart from. from uh, in elusive terms. George Best. George Best. She claims that this bar is, um, that he he was frequented by George Best in his heyday. Yeah. Because this bar has been around for a long time. Yeah. In different guises. Yeah. And was once glamorous and is now a bit shit. Yeah. Um, so I thought, aha. Aha. Where do we find There's out? There's an in there. Where does, where does George Best drink then? And amazing The answer is everywhere. <laughs>
1: I know.
0: But... Usefully, I found a fantastic book called Trailing George Best. I recommend it, Lister. It's basically a a list of addresses of places that were significant in the life of George Best. And I'd say at least half of them are nightclubs (laughs) in in and around Manchester, mainly. Um, So I thought, oh, well, you know, is is it listed where his classic drinking gods? And it also says in the book that he's pictured uh, with a champagne tower. Well, there's a, very, there's, lots, there's a few famous photos of George with I the think he did it quite talent. a lot, didn't he? But yeah. he said with, with, with Miss World standing next to him or something yeah. like that. Yeah. On brand. George Best, he doesn't drink in the area that you're talking about. No. Gen, I don't think he ever would have done. No. He had his own bars, obviously. Yeah. And they were quite well known. He had one called Blinkers, uh, which he co-owned with a mate. And in the book, extraordinary, this, this, this place is a nightclub as well. It had a basement bar. Um, But in order to promote this place, Blinkers, uh, they commissioned a group of local musicians to make a record that could be used to both celebrate and promote the club. The A and B sides were titled Goodbye Blinkers and Hello Blinkers. (laughs) And the relevant track was played in the club at the beginning of each evening and at closing time. (laughs) The seven-inch record was made available for sale, but only to those people that frequented the club. You okay. could only buy it in the club. So it's a rare collector's item. And it's also much sought after because the three musicians that made that record were Graham Goldman, no. Kevin Godley, and Lowell Cream. No. A trio that went on to achieve worldwide fame as three quarters of 10cc. So Strawberry Studios, wasn't it, in Stockport? Where yeah. was their play- was their- Do you know the other thing they had, though, which I think is incredible? They, of course, they had a football team, but they didn't have it was a normal football team, no. did they? Blinkers United, a glamorous ladies' football team, up Gwendolyn and Riley. Listen up! <laughs> <laughs> you, be, you might want to play. Featured Danish beauty Eva Haraldstedt. Oh God! She starred as the team's number ten. Also in there were basically the girlfriends of Mike Summerby, Dennis Law, Praddy Queer, and Alan Ball. Oh God! I'm feeling sick just saying this. It no. was a fun event. Plenty of clown. around. City player. Hey, clowning around. There's even a bit of rugby thrown in, and it's well worth a look. Apparently there's a Pathe News website. The ladies' team won seven-two with best playing in goal for both teams. So, good night, blinkers, blinkers, blinkers. Good night blinkers. We'll see you all again. This is a dive bar in the American style. There's worn-out red velveteen on the stools. The tables are battered dark wood and dusty artificial ferns froth in long brass planters between the booths. The limited light glows from yellowed glass lamps shaped like clamshells studied around the grey-green walls. I like working here. Mostly. Mostly. So we're standing at the moment just off Princess Street, which is in the south of Manchester. It runs parallel, broadly speaking, to Oxford Road, where all the universities are. She describes the bar she works in at one point as being behind the Oxford Road. Yeah, I got confused by that. When you come here, what you realise very quickly is there's just been an enormous amount of property development. I mean, Manchester's been exploding for two or three decades now, and it was starting around the late 90s and it, we're really kicked off in the noughties yeah. um, so 2000 the so time she's pick, talking about it's just really beginning to kick off where we're staying we're staying just on the Oxford Road you can see there's some blocks that have still got the old red brick 19th century you know beautiful industrial kind of architecture whole blocks of it and then the whole blocks have just disappeared and being replaced by box standard 21st century sort of you know boxes. For it to be a basement, by the way, she's describing, it, it's pretty clear it has to be one of these old blocks. I do have a candidate for you though, as for what when it when it could be, the Cypress Tavern, 84 Princess Street. I'm looking at pubs of Manchester. Well done. The Cypress Tavern is a famous old Manchester institution, and was opened in 1967 by Takis Kithromelides. For nearly 25 years, it was a family-run restaurant, pub and later nightclub. Parts of the interior reflected the background of the Ketrimolides with some Greek Cypriot decor and white arches giving the place a taverna look. So don't get too struck on that. In the 70s and 80s, it was the late-night drinking home of many of the local late teens and 20-somethings, particularly at weekends. Uh, It was one of the first nightclubs to be student-friendly in the late 70s. Ah. also hosted various music evenings, local legends such as The Distractions, The Passage, Crispy Ambulance. Never heard of them. And 808 State. Here comes a train. I'm standing underneath a railway uh, viaduct. Rather good. Yeah, it's good. we are right. So it was closed in 1991. Yes. And it reopened as the Granby reinvented itself as a mainly student venue and attracted local celebrities such as Steve Coogan and Marky e. Smith. Ah, So she mentions Marky e. Smith. M-E-S. It was the first late-night bar of its time and can be considered the forerunner of many of Manchester's thriving bars today. Now, the reason I like it is there's a basement bar uh, on Princess Street, so it's in the right part of town. Mm. You can sit on the ledge because the step's going down to the door. What I don't have for you is any sense of what the decor was like. When no, it reopened, no photographs. So we need, it be, we need it to look like an American dive bar, don't we? Because she says it's an American dive bar. If only some of them had had a smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> I did ask my local friends and family for some, you know, possible other options that it could be. But actually, Neil, my, my friend Neil, hi Neil, uh, Cypress Tab was the first one he mentioned. Ah, uh, well, there you go. And, uh, yeah. well, I think if Marky e Smith's in there, I'm all right with it. Good find. I think it, it works, doesn't it? It does. It, I don't think it's the one but it's it's a good standing I, I just feel like I, if Marky e. Smith was alive today it'd be great to get him to read that open paragraph yeah yeah <laughs> this is a dive bar <laughs> in the American style <laughs> there's one to red to velveteen on the stools that kind of thing it's almost like he was back it's almost his. like he was there right that was really uncanny <laughs> I've had John Cooper Clark and Mark E. Smith already yeah I'm glad you were there, mate, because I was heading straight to the Northern Quarter, and now I realise what a fool I was, because uh, the Northern Quarter development doesn't happen until a lot later. <laughs> a lot on. later. And it's, uh, now I, now I've actually done my homework. It doesn't to homework. Yeah, wall. so I, I I would have been completely lost. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the already be... now will be when Gwendolyn Ryan listens to this. Hi, Gwendolyn, Um, and uh, gets in touch with you on social media, because I'm sure she's a big Snapchat user, uh, and will tell you that actually it is in the Northern Quarter. (laughs) That's the end of part one of our cold water adventure. Yeah, so now for part two, we start to really properly walk around central Manchester, don't we? Yeah, around all the paths that are closed. We do a walk to Salford. We walk to Salford, then we, uh, via Piccadilly Gardens. Yep. If you stay with us for part two, you get a full kind of circular walk. I sh- reckon that you could read the whole of this book whilst walking around Manchester. It's short enough that you could just stop into like seven locations. Yeah. As your sort of walking guide, it's really quite good. Well, particularly if the bars are open, you can have a stop every now and again. Oh, man, that would be <laughs> Which nice. Which is not something we were owed no, we to luxury. We're to to if you drizzle. want to hear that straight away now, immediately, uh, you need to check out the Patreon page where the uh, both episodes of this and every podcast are available as soon as they're finished and published. Uh, and they're also available to listen to ad-free. That's right. So yeah. check it out. And there also will be our show notes there as well so that you'll have a bit more of a guide so that if you really do feel like you want to go to Manchester and really get the vibe, you've got a quite a lot of background yeah. information. I might need to encourage you to go a bit less on George Best. Oh, yeah, that might help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you want to do a George Best walk, get in touch with me. Yeah, quite zigzaggy.